This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. On today's show, we're going to do some looking back. We didn't finish the job uh, last week um, in a look back at 2007, so I think we're going to round out a little bit of that today and just tidy up the pile of material that we amass each week to do this show, but uh, oftentimes can't get through. So we're going to do what we can to square things. In the course of today's program, we're going to be joined by Will Durst. We also hope to be joined by a newcomer. That would be Ginger Rutland commentator for Capital Public Radio and editor at the Sacramento Bee. Today is January 10th, and it was on January 10th in the year 1878 that California Senator A.A. Sargent introduces a constitutional amendment which would have granted women the right to vote. This finally became the law of the land, but the whole process wound up taking 42 years. Curiously, on the exact same date, January 10, 1878, the British House of Lords approved the Representation of the People Bill, which gave the vote to married women over the age of 30, which still at least put some British women 40 years ahead of their American counterparts. And speaking of Britain and America, it was on January 10th in 1941 that President Franklin D. Roosevelt's Lend-Lease program was brought before the U.S. Congress for consideration. By the end of World War II, more than $50 billion in funds, weapons, aircraft, and ships were distributed to 44 countries through the program. After the war, the Lend-Lease program morphed into the Marshall Plan. What I find most remarkable about uh, Lend-Lease was the fact that the U.S. Senate studiously refused to allow Roosevelt to demonstrate any favoritism toward the British which basically forced Roosevelt to put Lend-Lease into effect by executive order, although Congress did approve it. And remarkably, it was Republicans in uh, the U.S. Congress that uh, basically tried to say that if, if the administration was going to help the British, it needed to also help the Germans. An attitude that does not look very intelligent in retrospect. And on January 10th, 1967, Massachusetts Republican Edward Brooks took office as the first black American in the U.S. Senate since Reconstruction. Our quote of the day, and we somehow missed this last week in our quotes of the year, uh, was noted in Time magazine. And really, I don't know how we missed this one. President George W. Bush last year, when asked about his falling approval rating, said, I really am not the kind of guy that sits here and says, Oh gosh, I'm worried about my legacy. To which we would add, frankly, it, it shows. On our runner-up quote, which also was from Time magazine uh, last week, was from Rupert Murdoch, the News Corp owner, who said about the outcry over his purchase of the Wall Street Journal, I spent the better part of the past three months enduring criticism that's normally leveled at some kind of genocidal tyrant. I suppose we should clear the air on this one. Rupert Murdoch is not a genocidal tyrant. Actually, we've got a bunch of political quotes that uh, we need to do uh, in, in the wake of uh, the Iowa caucuses and um, New Hampshire primary. But we've sat on this one for a couple years, and I think this is the time. Uh, said actor and former U.S. Senator Fred Thompson, now running for president, 
After 20 years in Washington, I often long for the realism and sincerity of Hollywood. All right, and our joke of the day is the American political process. <laughs> Which uh, basically, uh, based on the Iowa caucuses made evolution disbeliever and former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee, the frontrunner for the Republican presidential nomination, at least until he was thumped by John McCain in an actual election in New Hampshire. McCain looked to be dead in the water when, last summer, upon visiting Iraq wearing a bulletproof vest surrounded by army rangers with snipers on every rooftop, he went down to a Baghdad market and made a purchase and announced that things were back to normal in Baghdad. Well, or if at least not exactly normal, certainly moving in the right direction. And of course, no sooner was Barack Obama uh, portrayed as the front runner than he got beaten in New Hampshire by Hillary Clinton. And I must say that it's nice that after getting as far as the New Hampshire primary, it's not clear whom either party is going to nominate, which is in itself a quite a bit more democracy than we've gotten used to in America during recent presidential campaigns. And of course, the mainstream media is just eating this horse race aspect of, uh, of politics up. You know, who's ahead, who's behind, who's surging. This is generating some fine quotes, like, uh, like this one from Mike Huckabee just before the Iowa caucuses. I cannot part the Red Sea, but I believe I can part the red tape. Or how about this one? Uh, after closet Republican Joe Lieberman of Connecticut endorsed John McCain for president, one of his aides said, oh my God, no. Really? From the Hillary Clinton camp, but we have this from former Senator Bob Kerry, who was endorsing Hillary. I like the fact that his name is Barack Hussein Obama and that his father was a Muslim and that his paternal grandmother is a Muslim. Yeah, Hussein is his middle name. And how about this quote from Elizabeth Edwards, the, uh, the wife of airhead former Senator John Edwards, referring to Mike Huckabee. He seems like a nice, charming guy who doesn't believe in evolution and has some nutty views about what it is we should be doing about ending violence in our inner city. We should, we should make sure that all our young people are armed. Republicans scare me. Yeah, thankfully for the future of this nation, Edwards has finished third twice now, and perhaps his star is dimming. We hope so. And unfortunately, I can't seem to put my hand on the exact quote from, I think it was Joe Biden about John Edwards' senatorial record. But he said, in effect, his whole record consisted of about four bills that were about post offices. No, no, seriously, like post offices. And actually, if, listener, you have that exact quote, please send it to info at radioparallax.com and we'll clarify it next week. How about this quote from Mitt Romney responding to Rudy Giuliani's attacks on his appointments? He was coming from an entirely glass house. Yeah, Rudy Giuliani, the man that gave us Bernard Carrick to head the Department of Homeland Security. I don't know if any of you noticed the Republican presidential debate that took place on the eve of New Hampshire. Uh, they were going to exclude Ron Paul, despite the fact that on one day he raised like $6 million through the Internet. Paul seems to be the only one who is critical of George Bush's fiasco in Iraq. And in spite of the fact that he ran ahead of Rudy Giuliani, I guess, in New Hampshire, they were going to exclude him. One of our fellow DJs has sent out a, a mailing that got to me and I think a lot of other people to write to Fox News and ABC and suggesting this was not the right thing to do. And evidently, the, um, the groundswell of public opinion 
caused them to put Paul up on the dais, at which point he was completely ignored by the moderator. Of course, on the Democratic side, Chris Dodd, uh, Joe Biden, viable candidates, ignored. Dennis Kucinich, also ignored. But, but you know, I, we have a little side story about Kucinich we have to mention. In the midst of his run for the presidency, Congressman Kucinich uh, found time recently to get hitched. Or at any rate, the story surfaced recently. I think I'm just going to have to quote here from uh, the Washington Post. One morning in May 2005, the twice-divorced Kucinich was telling his friend, the guru Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, that he couldn't meet the right woman. Shankar's advice, stop looking and she will appear. That very afternoon, a tall redhead named Elizabeth Harper walked into Kucinich's office and reportedly the two locked eyes. And although apparently that was the extent of their interaction, Kucinich ran, <laughs> ran down the floor of the house telling colleagues, I've met her. Evidently two weeks passed without another encounter. But it, reportedly it was about 7.30 at night and I was just sending a message out to the universe saying, where is this woman? If there's anything to be done here, I need a sign. At that exact moment, I get an email. It was from Elizabeth, of course. The two began seeing each other, and some months later, she moved into Kucinich's house. And you know, we, we actually like Dennis Kucinich, who has appeared on this program, so we wish him well. And in spite of our cynicism about John McCain and his idiotic viewpoints about uh, Iraq, we should note that a major environmental voting group gave high marks to John McCain, along with all the Democratic presidential contenders, for their focus on addressing global warming and energy challenges. In fact, the League of Conservation Voters said McCain stands out among his Republican rivals in making global warming an issue on the campaign trail. On the other hand, I was rather shocked to see in the copy of Sierra magazine, which is published by the Sierra Club, an interview with uh, four, what's described as four savvy election junkies about... Uh, about the presidential campaign and environmental issues. One of the junkies, by the way, was Newt Gingrich. Yes, that Newt Gingrich. The article was titled, It's Global Warming, Stupid, noting that when voters were polled, specifically about how important global warming will be to their vote for the U.S. presidential race in 08, more than half of respondents to CNN slash Opinion Research Corporation poll answered extremely or very of course, in the, in the course of the interview, they got such wisdom out of Newt Gingrich as, our business community is already ahead of the American government on this issue. Our, our question would be, who is behind the American government on this issue? The government of Liberia, perhaps? We'd like to return to an editorial from New Scientist magazine we quoted last summer, which noted that when 10 Republican candidates for the next U.S. president were asked in the first presidential debate whether they believe in evolution, three of them, Kansas Senator Sam Brownback, Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee, and Colorado Representative Tom Tancredo answered no. This might shock many New Scientist readers, but among the U.S. public, a common reaction has been, who cares? You know, when they talked about Huckabee in this article last summer, I, didn't, I sort of wrote it off because I figured, where's, where's Huckabee going to go? Well, the place we most hope he doesn't go is into the Oval Office. But a noted New Scientist... Huckabee openly stated he does not know if the Earth was created in six days, 6,000 years ago, said the magazine. Sadly, the views expressed by these candidates reflect those of a large fraction of the U.S. population, which in numerous surveys has stated its belief that God created humans in their present form 
less than 10,000 years ago. And uh, speaking of jackass Republicans, as, as, as I think we were, how about this? Uh, if you registered as declined a state, which by California law is supposed to entitle you to walk in on, uh, on the day of the California primary and choose which party's ballot you want to use, well, that's only going to work for the American Independent Party or the Democratic Party. Evidently, the Republicans, along with the Greens, the Peace and Freedoms, and the Libertarian Party, are not going to let just anyone vote for their candidate. And if you check out your official voter information guide, as we did, you may be horrified, as we were, to note the parties now feel that they should include mission statements, which are labeled political party statements of purpose. Of course, you know, where else can you read such things as the Peace and Freedom Party of California stands for democracy, cooperation, and sharing. And for their part, the Republican Party is committed to improving our quality of life in every part of California. We're working to achieve this by creating jobs, improving schools, keeping communities safe, and improving the state's health care and environment. Because I really like the AIP, the American Independent Party. The American Independent Party is the party of ordered liberty and a nation under God. I love the fact that the Republicans are all running uh, along with the ghost of Ronald Reagan for the nomination. Noted Stephen Tama, writing for McClatchy.com. They want to put his face on Mount Rushmore, but Republicans today are demanding such ideological purity that they might not even nominate Ronald Reagan for president if he were to run now. He was for abortion rights before he was against them. Taxes? He raised them as governor and raised them several times as president. Immigration? He signed the law that Republicans now call amnesty for illegal immigrants. Foreign policy? He negotiated with the evil empire. In fact, they'd find him wrong on almost every hot-button issue of the 2008 campaign. And, and speaking of presidential candidates, and I was looking up George Romney, uh, the father of Mitt, who was for a while the frontrunner back in 1968 till he was overtaken by Richard M. Nixon. And it popped up on Wikipedia that George Romney, Mitt's dad, was born in Mexico. Now, how he could have been a candidate for the presidency when, by the Constitution, you can't be president if you're born outside the United States, I don't, I don't remember how they got around that. And if you're old enough to remember George Romney, you'll know that he took a big hit uh, in the polls when, after visiting Vietnam, he came back and said that he'd been given a real brainwashing over there, which was absolutely true. The public, however, didn't like to hear this, at which point he fell precipitously in the polls. So, uh, you know, an overdose of the truth is, you know, not a mistake I think Sun Mitt's going to make anytime soon. And speaking of Reagan, as we were a minute ago, uh, here's a couple of quotes I was looking for and couldn't put my hands on, but uh, have now surfaced. Uh, a couple of months back, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina said, I'm convinced as an individual senator, as a military lawyer for 25 years, that waterboarding does violate the Geneva Convention, does violate our war crime statute, and is clearly illegal. To which we say, good for Senator Graham. But to the quote I was looking for came from Michael Reagan, right-wing airhead talk show host and adopted son of the former president, who said in response, there are a lot of people who believe, in fact, Lindsey Graham should be the one waterboarded. Michael Reagan, uh, last year, came here to Sacramento and, and conducted what passed as an interview with uh, Mikhail Gorbachev. 
And I must say, it was rather painful to watch. Clearly, the only reason Michael Reagan was up on the dais was the fact that his last name is Reagan. Anyway, there'll be enough politics to make us all puke here before we're done, so let's, let's move on. Our stat of the day comes from the Associated Press, which notes that 34% of Americans believe in ghosts. In fact, 23% say they've personally seen a ghost or felt its presence. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week a couple weeks back for Iceland, which was named the most desirable country to live in by the UN Human Development Index. The tiny island nation, which is frozen and dark much of the year, edged out Norway due to its long life expectancy, high educational levels, and comfortable per capita income. It was conversely a bad week for British wildlife not too long ago when a squirrel in Britain squeezed its way through the bars of a bird feeder, then proceeded to eat so many nuts that it was too fat to get out again. For the record, the squirrel was eventually freed by wildlife official Graham Hammond, who observed that the rodent did appear to have eyes bigger than its stomach. And it was an ugly week, a couple weeks back, for the cruise industry when it was revealed that a Norwegian cruise ship carrying about 300 people struck a glacier in Antarctica. Evidently, the MS Fram had uh, an electrical outage, lost engine power, and rammed into the wall of ice shortly afterwards, damaging a lifeboat. Now, while I do realize that cruise ships are not necessarily the fastest ships out on the high seas, you do expect them to be able to keep ahead of a glacier. All right, we're ending, uh, we're nearing the end of segment number one, so let's go out with our old pal, Will Durst. Well, thanks, Doug. And today I'm here to tell a tale that no one else will. It's not a matter of political correctness. It is shame, of which I have little, if any. Okay, none. So here goes. What follows is the real and true story of how Hillary Clinton overcame a double-digit same-day deficit and won the New Hampshire primary. I mean, we all know what happened. But like the knickers of a Guatemalan nanny bent over a laundry basket in the room just off the kitchen, we pretend not to notice. It wasn't a polling glitch. It wasn't Hillary's vulnerability in Saturday's debate or her moist eyes in that Portsmouth coffee shop. It wasn't Bill turning into a 60-foot George Bailey transformer rampaging through Bedford Falls. It was a form of prejudice detritus known as the Bradley Effect. In 1982, Los Angeles Mayor Tom Bradley, an African-American, was 10 points ahead in the polls the day before his California gubernatorial election against George Duke Majin. 10 points ahead, day before the election, he lost. Sound familiar? Bradley even led in the exit polls, which means people not only lied about how they were going to vote, they lied about how they did vote. Proof positive that something crazy happens inside the heads of white people when they get behind that polling curtain. But after two terms of George Bush, that ain't new news. 
This didn't happen in Iowa because there you get in a corner with all your neighbors in the bright fluorescent light. In New Hampshire, it's just you and your inner New England demons behind a curtain. No matter how warm the January night, it gets dark at five up there. Northwoods dark, where shadows trump hope. The difference was women over 40, white women. I know, I know, I know. Sacrilege, implying discrimination exists in America today. Blaspheme, accusing Democrats of possible prejudice, heresy. Yeah, well, one can only hope that the Clinton campaign understands this and doesn't convince themselves it was their wacky, emotional leakage weakened strategy that turned the tide. Because that would mean ten more months of Bill yelling and Hillary keening, and nobody wants that. The only thing worse would be to go on pretending this effect does not exist because future opponents are already drawing up plans to ramp it up. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. We'll be back with plenty more after a short break. (laughs) 